Asked De- Denise to come and join me. Denise does amazing things at our summit. She serves all week. You had more sleep this year, didn't you? Some of you might like to do it next year. Serve at the summit. Do you want to tell who's oh, next year. Mm-hmm. Who is there? Oh, Brian Houston is at our leadership summit next year. Um, ELS. And um, Pete Greg. Greg. Pete Greg. Pete Greg. Pete Greg. That man. And Mike Pilavachi. And Chris Cartwright. Our Elim guy. Did I? So it's going to be good. Anyway, thanks, Denise. Right, before I share what I got out of this, there's one thing that really struck me. Um, When you come to listen to what God's got for you, bring a notebook and write it down. (laughs) Because I was serving this week, I was on a door, so I couldn't couldn't take anything with me. I had to be focused on the needs of other people. But it did mean that I got to listen to all the seminars and all of the things in the auditorium, which was amazing. Fabulous teaching. If you have the opportunity to to watch them, they're available online, and I would say definitely watch them. Great stuff. Um, But take a notebook, um, because even when it's really, really good, you easily forget it. And, you know, I can honestly say we've had great teaching this week. We get amazing teaching every week here. So, you know, be encouraged, guys. Um, So um, when Bill asked me to... uh, say something I thought gosh what have I got to say I haven't got any notes can't think of anything and uh, and I just started to kind of spend a little bit of time with God and think about it and uh, in one of the sessions um, a guy called James um, spoke about the wedding at Cana Um, but because I didn't have any notes I couldn't really remember exactly what he'd said otherwise you'd have probably got that but this is kind of what I got out of the wedding at Cana so uh, the story is in John chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 I'm not going to read it all to you because I've not got long um but the I for me this story is actually all about relationships and we all know this story and I've never quite looked at it this way beforehand and Mary is actually the central character we always think about oh it's Jesus and he does his first miracle but if it wasn't for Mary wouldn't have happened and it's through the depths of her relationships that the miracle is actually caused to happen Now, we don't actually know whose wedding it was. It doesn't say, it just says she's gone to a wedding and Jesus and his mates were invited. Um, But it must have been somebody with whom Mary had a very close relationship because she knew when the wine ran out. Um, Now, if we go to a wedding, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes and nobody's going to just kind of come up and tell us. But if we were very close to those people whose wedding it was, we might actually know that there was an issue. Um, And... So it's not going to have been a matter of public knowledge. And because she was really close to whoever it was, she had a relationship with them. She wanted to do something about it because she didn't want them to lose face. She didn't want the wedding to all go pear-shaped because it was important to her. That relationship that she had with that family was important to her and she really cared about them. Now, because she had a very close relationship with Jesus, she was obviously his mum, she knew that he could do something about it. Um, At this time, he hadn't actually done any miracles. He'd only just started calling the disciples to him. And indeed, um, it says at the beginning of verse 1 
that it's, um, it's, three, it's only three days after he's chosen Philip and Nathaniel. So, you know, this is, this is early days here. She doesn't know. She's not seen what he's doing, but because she knows him. She knows him probably the best person in the world. And she knows that he has got time to, uh, that he's going to be able to do something to help. Um, where are we? Uh, she un understood his potential, and she also knew that he had a heart to help. So she spoke to him about it. Now, his first response to this is, shut up, mother. Um, not quite. We don't obviously have the full conversation that went on. But she says, um, and actually, she doesn't ask him to help. She just goes to him and says, uh, they've run out of wine. And he then says, don't tell me what to do. It's not time. In immediate, well, hang on, where have I got to? Um... So she knows that he's God, and most of us actually would have left it at that. If God says, no, I'm not doing it, we would just leave it. And we go, no, okay, in your time, God. Um, but she's got the confidence in her relationship with him. She knows his heart, and she, she knows that what matters to her matters to him. So the next thing we hear is she goes off and she says to the servants, um, you do whatever Jesus says. So this is actually further evidence of her relationship with the family because she not only knows what the problem is, but she's actually able to direct the servants. Now, if we were in a wedding and something was going wrong, we're not going to go to the hotel staff and go, um, see this guy over here, you just do what he says and they're going to listen to us. That's, that's not going to happen. If we were part of the family, then they are going to take more notice because the family is the ones that are paying them. Um, so they clearly know who she is and they're willing to take instructions from her. Um, she's also got the confidence that Jesus cares enough about her concerns to change his plans for her. So our, relationship, our relationships are key if we want to be effective witnesses for Jesus. So we, firstly, we need to have proper... I can't read my writing... We need to have a proper, no, I still can't read it, um, <laughs> relationship with him so that we've got the confidence um, in what we can do and all, in what he can do. And also that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we speak to him, he will not only listen to us, but he's going to value the things which are of concern to us. So it's not just about going, oh, please, God. We, we, if we've got that relationship with him, we know, we, we know that he cares about what we care about. And that then gives us confidence to act. Um, we also need to develop deep relationships with other people so that we actually know what's going on um, for them. And then that gives, it puts us in a position to intercede in, a, in an appropriate way. We need to make sure that we are actually speaking the same language, both with other people and with Jesus. Now, one of the sessions, um, there was a guy from New Zealand, and he was like introducing, I think it was a business meeting, and he was introducing um, the session. And he clearly um, likes football. And so he was coming from a football stance, and, uh, and he decided he was going to use an illustration. So he had a football on stage. And he says to the, uh, to, to the 
audience, congregation, whatever they are, all, all the people who were there. Um, he said, does anybody know how to juggle? So there was dead silence because nobody wants to go up on the stage. And then a couple of people were poking somebody and he's like, okay. So he's like, come down onto the stage. And he gives him this football. And he says, right, can you juggle the football? So the bloke looks a little bit confused. And he starts passing, passing the football from one hand to another like you would if you were using a juggling ball. So the bloke looks at him a bit strange. He went, can you do it with your feet? And he went, no, what are you on about? At which point we realised he didn't want anybody to juggle. He wanted somebody to do keepy-uppies. So this was a, a, a great deal of amusement to everybody. Chris Cartwright made a joke and, it was, and the guy went, oh, I think we lost that in translation somewhere. And we never got to find out what point he was going to illustrate. It, it just went because it had gone. The moment had passed. Now, he, obviously, was a footballer. He thought, OK, I'm going to use a football analogy because people will get it because the Brits love football. But because he hadn't spent enough time with UK footballers, he didn't have that depth of relationship and he didn't really use the same language. We're speaking the same words, but they made... Um, they actually meant different things. If he'd have spent a bit more time, he would have known what he needed to ask for in order to get his uh, point illustrated. So it's only through a depth of relationship, both with Jesus and with other people, that we can truly make connections and so that we know how to talk to Jesus. We've got to spend time with him. But we also need to spend time with our friends, not just a little bit. We've got to invest real time and build real relationships. Um, and we, you know, we only do that. We've got to be together. So the servants knew and trusted Mary, so they were willing to take directions from Jesus. And then they followed his instructions. So through our deepening relationships, we then earn the right to introduce our friends to Jesus. Because... They know us, and they know that we know him, and we can point them to him. So in the end, Mary wasn't the one or, uh, asking for it to happen. She said, you listen to this, listen to my son, he'll sort things out, and they listened to him. They didn't know who he was, but they listened to him. When we spend time with our friends, that gives us the right to speak into their lives, but it only works when we've spent time with Jesus. But... The final thing I want to say is we have to get the balance right. Too much time with our friends, not enough time with Jesus, that's not going to work. And actually, if we spend all our time in church and we don't ever connect with the world, then we'll have a fab relationship with Jesus, but actually nobody out there is going to know anything about it. So it's kind of pointless. <laughs>